The Sports Gaming Podcast Network and the Inside Vegas Podcast are presented to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Gaming Podcast and the Inside Vegas Podcast. Props, parlays, in-game wagering, MyBookie.ag has it all. And if you sign up using the promo code SGP50, you'll receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Play, win, and get paid. MyBookie.ag. We're also brought to you by Amazon. You know you're already shopping on Amazon. Shop at Amazon and support the Sports Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. All you have to do is log on to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Amazon. Bookmark that link and use it every time that you shop at Amazon to support the podcast today. As always, go get yourself a nice Inside Vegas Tea College experience or the SGP Classic Shield is over at Amazon.com as well. We are back with another edition of Inside Vegas, and we are talking all things sports betting content, the past, where it came from, and the future of where it could go. And we have welcoming on Alex Kaladzi, uh, one of the sports betting writers over at one of the best media outlets in the world when it comes to sports, The Score. Find him on Twitter at Alex Kaladzi. I'm going to spell that for you. K-O-L-O-D-Z-I-E-J. We're breaking down everything from where the sports betting content world is coming from, what kind of helped it along the way. And again, like I said before, the future of it, as well as his handicapping styles. Um, he has put out some amazing articles um, pretty much in every single, you know, any of the four major sports and everything else along the way. Um, we break into kind of why that narrative is so important, why the why when it comes to content is so much more important than just putting out the picks and everything that comes with it. Um, it's a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, this is Alex Kaladzi of The Score, sports betting writer. Joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast, one of my favorite follows on Twitter and somebody, if you've kind of noticed the theme of these most recent episodes, it's been kind of the conversation between people, um, you know, quote unquote, making it, having the platform versus kind of people that don't. And I think it's a fascinating conversation to continue to have with both players whenever it comes to with or without platforms and kind of what that, you know, split in in situation looks like. We'll bring on Alex Kaloje, the writer of a sports betting writer for the score, I should say. Find him on Twitter at Alex Kaloje. I'm going to spell that last name for you. K-O-L-O-D-Z-I-E-J. Alex, my man, we've been talking kind of off behind the scenes for a while, I guess. How is everything in what I believe to be sunny Arizona right now for you? Yeah, things are well, man. Definitely hot, but um, appreciate you having me on. Looking forward to a pretty fun podcast today. So let's dive into it, man. Um, you know, again, fascinating conversation for people that kind of have that platform. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people look at it as almost the dream job scenario to be able to create content when it comes to sports betting. But I'm always fascinated by people's journey more than, in, you know, anything else, more of the come up side in, in you know, kind of, I don't want to say scrapping and grinding, but what led you to kind of the places that, you know, people are in today. So let's talk about you in your journey to being the sports betting writer for the score, one of the most prominent media, sports media platforms out there, not just in sports betting. Um, it, it's probably my favorite app to track scores just because everything kind of gets sent to you right away and you can kind of play with that uh, within the app. And, and there's so many good things that the score does. Again, it's, it's definitely my favorite kind of tracking app. I know some people for other ones, some people use other ones. It's kind of what works for you. And the score is definitely what works for me, man. So what is kind of your story, your journey to, you know, bring you to create sports betting content for such a major media outlet like the score? For sure. Yeah. Back in, uh, you know, when I was 14, 15, see, I grew up in a gambling household. You know, my, my dad was always doing lottery tickets, you know, playing right into the house's advantage. Right. Um, you know, we played Super Bowl pools. We did all that stuff. But when I was about 15 years old, my brother was out of college and 
you know, he was living at home. Um, and you know, we're watching college football and all of a sudden, you know, you can kind of notice when somebody's taking more interest into something that they should. And so he kind of explained to me, you know, the ins and outs of sports gambling. Um, he let me have action on the first ever bet. I remember LSU, Alabama, I believe it was 2008. Um, and we had the over 48 and winning the first bet was kind of like, you know, that kind of reeled me in. into the like, best okay, and the worst thing is, that ever happened to you, is, right? Yeah. And it's, it's hysterical CP because I think about it. I'm like, you know, if, if I would have lost that five, you know, that $5, I probably had a grand total of like $7 in my bank account at that time. You know, if I lose that bet, like I'm probably like, this is terrible. This is just, I can't do this. Like, but you know, winning the first bet just kind of, it's, it kind of starts the domino effect of everything. But that was kind of like the first real bet into, you know, sports gambling, my first kind of delve into that. And then, so we kind of, that was kind of our thing, you know, he was living at home. Um, I was in high school and it's hysterical because it became such a big thing where, you know, you grew up in a sports household, you're always watching sports. So why not have money on it? And it was just one of those things during high school where it's okay. I'm the only person like in my class in this high school who does sports betting. And I think that was kind of the thing that kind of set me apart where okay, this is cool. I, I have my own niche and I'm kind of doing something that nobody else is doing. And then it kind of escalated into like, you know, you're playing high school football games on Friday nights and, you know, you're asking coaches like the scores of, uh, mountain West games that are, <laughs> that are kicking off at like eight. And right. I remember one time I got suspended for a quarter because I asked a strength coach, the score of a game during one of my own games. And that's when <laughs> I, I was kind of like, <laughs> I haven't told many people that, but that's just kind of one of the things where it's like, that's kind of how big it was early on in the, in the stages of, of my sports betting experience. And that's kind of, um, one of those just fun stories of, of how it all got started, but really, you know, kind of taking into the next chapter. Um, I had always been a fan of writing, um, grew up liking English more than I liked math, uh, you know, during my younger years in school, which is actually kind of funny because now I work more with numbers than I do with writing. Even though I am a writer, you kind of get a merge of those two, but you know, you, you, you start writing and you start taking sports betting into it. And I remember just kind of writing in high school and study hall, I would write, um, kind of summaries into why I liked games. And it kind of helped me get a better reasoning for why I liked, like different sides or like different totals. And it kind of helped me shape into writing. And then, you know, I started getting into sports media right out of college. Um, you know, did a lot of different things, um, you know, interviewing, reporting, um, working on a news desk, but I always kind of had this gambling slant and I was kind of just always known around the office as the guy who liked to gamble. And, you know, people would come to me for advice and, you know, after three or four years of sports writing and kind of having that gambling slant, uh, in the back cupboard, um, once that job kind of bottomed out, I pursued that career, um, kind of heads on and found, you know, this position with the score and have been working here now for the past 10 months. And, you know, it's been great to, um, to see things unfold, you know, in the industry. And, you know, I, I've learned a lot about myself writing and with all the experiences I've had to be able to do it full time now and to be able to make the connections that I've had and really to write about it. I think you said it best CP you know, kind of living this dream job of, of being able to write about it every day. It definitely does not feel like work. 
No, it doesn't. And, and well, there's different things when it comes to creating content. And, and that's the, another fascinating conversation is, is kind of how, you know, mostly professional gamblers don't want to create content. They just want to kind of get their number. And, you know, that kind of definition to me is really fascinating as it's changed. Um, and we'll kind of get into that when it comes to, you know, what that means. If you write about gambling in, in the sports world, are you a professional gambler? Um, you know what I mean? So it, it's really kind of a, a really cool line that's that's being kind of blended right now at the moment when people only think of it as one time. Within your story, man, you said a bunch of cool things that I want to hit on and have you explain a little bit more. You know, I think that Gambling largely, um, of course, there are some outliers out there. Um, Monique, of course, working at SGP, Kelly in Vegas. There are a few women in the industry, but mostly it's been a very male-dominated type of industry. And, and I'm going to bring this back to how you kind of talked about, you know, your dad getting you into sports betting. I think that most people out there have, you know, that one kind of male male bonding we can call it moment, whether it's being at the track with a parent, grandparent, whatever, or you know, playing, you know, getting making a bet with them or, or whatever it is. Um, starting so young, you know, I know you kind of talked about winning that first bet and it was maybe the best worst thing that ever happened to you um you know why do you think it, it's kind of always i don't want to say passed down like you know father to son or whatever if that's in them but i think that you know when you talk about kind of gambling and the taboo that's associated with it some people can look at that negatively um obviously it impacted your life in the best possible way of being at you know kind of where you're at now but where do you think kind of that dynamic comes from yeah i think you know when i look at it you know in a, in a broad scope here i i think it was just a matter of time until i started um the running joke in my family is that you know the more we produced on the family line, the more degenerates we're going to have just because <laughs> I love, you that. know, <laughs> I, I mean, um, and here, put it this way, you know, I, I talk about it with my mother freely. I mean, she knows, you know, she has three sons who gamble. Um, my sister actually has a slot, uh, machine tattooed on her side. My dad has probably gone through millions of dollars worth of scratch off tickets in his life, but it, it's hysterical because she tells me, you know, I was the, I was the housewife who would have to take calls from my dad when he was at work and I would have to write down the scores from the bottom, you know, back then, obviously right. with no internet, no, no apps. What she would do is <laughs> she would watch ESPN and she would write down the scores from the bottom line. And then she'd have to call my dad and relay them that way. And it's just like, that's just kind Your of, mom was the essence. score before the score, bro. That's awesome. She was, she, she was, she literally was the score before the score. Um, so I think that just perfectly encapsulates like the kind of the dynamic of my family. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, you look at it from the common person, like sports gambling is a little bit taboo, but for, for me and, and how I kind of came up and believe me, you know, we're um, my family has nothing to do with being professional gamblers. You know, it's, it's probably, I'm probably pumping it up more than I probably should have, but like, it's one of those things where they look at it and they think, oh, of course he's in sports gambling. Like, you know, look at the house he kind of grew up in, you know, when we're having Super Bowl pools and doing March madness stuff. And my mom's writing down scores for my dad while he's at work. So it's just one of those things where I grew up in a house where, you know, it was more open, um, than it probably should have been. And, you know, being the youngest of four and gambling with my brothers and, you know, we grew up in a sports household. We all played college football. So we already had that sports background. And then, you know, just the, the hobby and, and finding something to do with it, it, it just kind of made sense for me to intertwine writing and sports and having a hobby and wanting to make connections with people into what I'm doing now. Right. 
So another thing you said that was kind of mirrors my thing, man. So I think I've, I've said this pretty much every time, but school to me was uh, an issue, let's say, did not do well. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it's not that I didn't, you know, didn't, I hated learning or whatever. I just, I, I couldn't find the practicality between, you know, chemistry or, or trigger or, you know, math or, or whatever it is that was being taught. I couldn't, you know, history, I couldn't really apply it in my everyday life. And so I got really turned off really quick. However, much like you, English was something that I could, you know, I was really good at without having a lot of issues. I could sit down and write an essay or a paper in, you know, a, a half an hour uh, with no prep time. And it, you know, came out, I think, pretty good. And, and so it's, I've always been able to, you know, link those two. I want to ask you, because like mm -hmm. you said, you know, you weren't that great at math. I, when I tell you, I am probably the worst math person on this planet. And people always <laughs> laugh at this being in, in sports betting. Um, thank God for iPhone calculators and, and you know, sites out there that make odds and, and kind of make my life easier because I am the worst person in the world when it comes to math. It's it's a running joke, but it's seriously true. Um, and so I think it's always so funny to talk to with other people like that involved in the industry that that aren't kind of because I think that people have a, have this notion that you have to the next wave of gamblers are or successful ones are kind of the analytical departments, the model driven guys. And mm -hmm. I think that there is still a lot of room for the human element. And again, it's a little bit different sport by sport. Um, you know, f the baseball discussion always fascinates me because while it's the biggest analytical sport, it also has the biggest human element, I would argue, maybe besides a sport like UFC. Um, you know, when it comes to that, do you find yourself kind of on the side of, you know, analytical stuff is kind of the future or are you more on the human driven side of handicapping? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really good question. And it's funny you say that because if I had known what I know now, back then I would have taken more stats classes. I would have taken maybe computer engineering and I probably would have taken things more driven to sports modeling and markets, you know, than I would have had I pursued a freaking degree in kinesiology and sports <laughs> studies where, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm learning about, and here's the thing, like, I can't even give you an example. Cause like, I don't even remember like the classes that I took, like it was all sports management. I was kind of in that purgatory phase where I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I always say at that time, sports gambling wasn't as big as it is now, um, with the legalization. So there weren't many classes tailored to it and I didn't think about it. And really I didn't pursue writing until after. So I didn't even get a a journalism like minor. So I just kind of came out like fresh, like with a, with a fresh slate after college and was like, okay, let's just do this thing. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a good question, uh, going back to the analytical side versus the human side. I, you know, I always find it, um, interesting. Uh, and it seems like a cop out when some people say that, you know, that they're situational betters or situational handicappers and they like to pick spots. Um, you know, you can find edges in certain sports um, situational wise, but in reality, some of the bigger markets and stuff you know, you're already going to find some of that stuff baked in. So um, I think in that case, if you're going to call yourself, you know, a situational handicapper, and you know, I think it's just best to say that you don't model. And to be fair, I don't think that there's a certain way um, for a person to cap. You know, I, I don't think that there is a end all be all. I don't think there's one specific way that helps people. Um, I know people who have played um, college football who, you know, don't know anything about college football betting. Um, you know, I know people who work strictly with numbers who can, you know, find a spread down to the, you know, however many 10th decimal points. So it, it just, it, it kind of varies. Um, you know, unfortunately for myself with my lack of math, you know, I'm right in the same boat with you. If, if somebody, you know, asked me how to code, I would, you know, 
I would literally start puking right on the spot. Probably <laughs> yeah, wouldn't have any. Um, so, you know, there, there are definitely different ways to go about it. And again, I don't think there's one certain way, you know, if there were, if there was one certain way, um, to cap, then I think that would, you know, eliminate, um, you know, the kind of the discussion and the, and the loop of, of sports betting and stuff. So, you know, there are people who have done it successfully modeling and, and trying to beat the spread by making their own numbers. And then there are people who just know the sport. And I know people who are successful who, who don't model at all. So, um, again, I'm, I'm, I, I don't model because I can't, I, I am yeah, just incapable of, of doing it. Um, you know, outside of like the quick multiplication tables, I, I couldn't tell you anything math wise. So that's probably not on my alley. So I just use the resources that I have, um, you know, make the connections that I have and, and learn more. Honestly, I'm still learning. Um, as much as, you know, I've been in the industry for, you know, nine, 10 years, there's, there's always uh, room for learning and whatnot. So until I find what really works best, I'm going to keep trying different things. And, um, you know, as, as sports and, and how the analytics work with different sports and how you have to adapt, I'm going to keep doing the same thing. Completely agree with you, Ben. And I'm just, I, I can't do it. And I think that there's something to be said for trusting the guys that can, um, maybe incorporate that, do a little diversification, whatever it is. You know, and people kind of, you know, get their ego into it a lot and, you know, oh, I have to do everything myself. And I just, and, I don't and, and, believe you know, in that. And, and just touching back on that, Christian, I, I don't think it has to do anything with, oh, you know, just because you model, you know, makes you a better handicapper. I mean, who's to say that you're modeling and you're, you know, the numbers that you're integrating and the statistics that you're integrate integrating are all noise and you're not accounting for things that are actually signals. Um, so, um, you know, and, and this isn't, you know, bashing on the analytical community at all, because if honestly, if you gave me a cheat sheet on how to model, I'd, I'd have one up tonight if I could. Um, and I think it's a terrific resource, but, um, it's one of those things where just because you have a model doesn't mean that you are a better handicapper than, you know, handicapper a or handicapper B who doesn't have a model. Um, you still have to account for the correct things. You still have to be able to, um, you know, account for the right statistics and what works, what doesn't you have to completely overhaul everything, you know, that doesn't work. And you got to make sure that, you know, you're, you have the right ingredients because if you don't, then it's, you know, it's, it's not successful. So you know, I don't, I don't think that just cause you have a model makes you more successful than somebody does not have a model. It goes back to the terminology too. People get so bogged down by that term model, which means, Oh, you must be Correct. analytical. You have to play with numbers. Well, if you have like that, where you just said ingredients? I use it too. I love that. If I have nine things, you can call them nine boxes. I have to check for me to be on a game. I mean, it, technically I guess that's a model, right? It's when things kind of fall into place for you. So that the terminology can kind of really sway people into what type of handicapper you are. And I don't necessarily agree with that either, but I, um, I want to bring this back cause I, um, during your story, um, basically I want to know what, you know, how you ended up at the score from college basically you said you went from college to the score and not to say make you give away the you know hiring process of the score or anything like that but i think it's a fascinating <laughs> conversation to um for people to hear kind of how you ended up there you know post-college um you know post-degree and kind of how you ended up there and kind of that process that you went through um to be able to get to that position yeah so during college actually the first real gig that i had sports betting related um was selling picks for a service and the reason that i loved this um, you know, in hindsight, as a 19, 20 year old, um, selling picks, um, you know, not knowing as much as I know now and kind of having that, um, light workload of experience, like I probably, w I wasn't suited to do that at that age in hindsight, you know, six, seven years ago. But the reason I really got turned on, and I think that was kind of the turning point for me was because I loved, 
write-ups. And it kind of goes back to the whole writing thing of I loved explaining and I loved finding different little nuggets and um, you know, I'm going to use the word trend, not, you know, statistical trends, but different trends and, and different kind of notes. Patterns, to, to, market and, analyzation. To, yeah, just to just to kind of provide reasoning. And it, it was one of those things in college where, you know, you're at kind of a smaller school and to make money, you either have to go, you know, be a bouncer at a bar or you have to work at a restaurant. And I wasn't about to work on a set schedule, you know, and not to sound arrogant, but I didn't want to have to talk, you know, have to talk up to a manager. I had, you know, nine teachers at that time. Um, so this for me was kind of the turning point of, okay, you know what? I love doing this. I love being able to kind of dial in and focus on, you know, why this side or total was going to hit. And then just kind of having that, um, that side hustle of, okay, I'm doing something that I want to do. And it was very rewarding. And, you know, I, I spent about a year or two doing that. And then, you know, again, after bottoming out, there were a couple of years where I didn't know what to do, didn't know who I was, didn't know where I wanted to go. And then fell back on sports writing, uh, got a job right out of college, um, and then moved out to Arizona actually three days after I graduated to start with a startup, uh, formerly FanRag Sports. And, you know, I did a lot of things there. Um, again, interviewing, reporting, just trying to find out who I was. And, you know, there were times when, you know, back then, even two years ago, you know, gambling was seen as something bad. If you were a sports media company, you know, if you were associated with gambling, then you weren't credible. Um, you know, as crazy as that sounds, you know, being with them for as long as I was like, you get to know around sports media, okay, if you're associated with gambling, then you can't you know, are you credible? Can you be taken seriously? Can't advertise and so, with you all that. Yeah. And so after, again, that bottomed out, um, that was kind of another turning point for me where it was like, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to go out to the desert? Do you want to try and work as a junior trader? Do you want to start writing tickets? Do you just want to get your foot in the door? Or, you know, so it was kind of a, a time to like put up or shut up and really, really take a shot on what I wanted to do and luckily, you know, my buddy comes up to me and he's like, dude, <laughs> he's like, the score has a position out there. He's like, it's a sports gambling writer. He's like, you need to apply. And at that time, you know, being two weeks removed from being fired from a job in which you moved out there for and kind of had lofty expectations for you're kind of <laughs> stubborn, resistant, don't really want to start looking for something yet. And then sure enough, um, it was just a really good fit. and. Um, it really kind of helped me because I knew that I can do it. I knew that I was comfortable doing it. It was one of those things where I could go into new changes scenery, um, with new employees and I would have no problem, um, doing my best job that I could, you know, if it was something where I wasn't exactly sure of, then, you know, it would have been a stressful transition to go from one company to the next. But, um, this was just one of those things where it was finally like, okay, now I get to do what I want to do. And luckily for my roommate, for him um, finding that position and, and giving it to me and for forcing me to fill out the application, because at that time I was just still kind of in that slump of, OK, now I got to find a new job. But it's been it's been smooth sailing since. And um, again, to be able to write gambling full time is great because, you know, my previous post, 
it was one of those things where it was, okay, maybe we can do this or, you know, I guess we can do that, you know, as long as it's not too over the top, but now it's like, you know, we're, we're getting the ball rolling and putting out some really good stuff. And, um, again, meeting a lot of new people within the industry and stuff, which is always fantastic. Do you, when you talked about kind of, you know, the picks are selling picks during college and all that type of stuff, and let's go back, mm-hmm. going back to the, the kind of, you know, pro gambler, pro sports, better name and, and kind of how that is differentiated now. Um, you know, did you find yourself, um, obviously, I mean, I, I know how happy you are now at the score, just creating content, but this conversation to me is always fascinating because, um, you know, let, let's call this what this is. You get compensated by a company for your sports betting opinions. Now, if you are never right, um, you know, would you still be there or, or if the content wasn't on par with it, with a, you know, with the score, would you still be there? So thus your income is tied to, you know, maybe not as directly to somebody who's just betting sports. But I think that when you look at most professional sports bettors, you know, myself included, now there's other avenues that kind of supplement that, you know, when I moved to Vegas, mm-hmm. I had kind of two, two goals. I wanted to become a professional sports better and I wanted to almost create kind of the, the wall street journal, if you will, or yeah, wall street journal of sports betting. And what I had kind of quickly found out was there was not a lot of space or not a lot of room in the space for stuff that wasn't funny. And this is a, a, you know, theme that I'm really seeing what, you know, while these new companies are coming up and, and the type of content that they're putting out there, it's, it's a lot less of, um, you know, let's say to me, there's, there's a big split, either you're super, super, um, it's great content. It's great information. The picks win, but it's a little bit dry and to the point, or it's super funny and the content is awful. And the, you know, people are really having in the content industry a hard time navigating that water, I think. And I understand that it's the 1% of people who really only want the great info and will sit through a very dry program, radio show, podcast. Um, and then the, the other side is the 99% who just want to watch you know, people sweat or whatever type mm-hmm. of content is being put out there. Were you kind of happier, I would say happier, but did you, you know, when you started in, you know, kind of your infancy with the, with selling picks, what's kind of the biggest differences that you've seen in between that Avenue, um, and kind of, you know, going on, you know, with that platform versus just creating content for the score. Sure. Yeah. So selling picks, I think was, um, it it differs in the sense that, okay, um, you know, here's what I want to play. Here's what I'm giving to you. And here's what you're paying me for. Um, it, it, it seems like it's a little bit more personal, um, than putting out, uh, content. If, if that makes sense, yep. you know, write-ups, I can be a little bit more loose, um, you know, <laughs> grammatically and journalistically, um, even then, you know, back then I probably wasn't suited to, to write, you know, write-ups, but, um, in the grand scheme of things, it was providing reasoning and really hammering home and, and kind of offering, a different view of, of how to go about selecting a play. And I think it kind of ties all back to being, um, you know, a sports writer and just, you know, kind of in that reporting element of, okay. Cause I always learned that if you're going to tell a story, you want to tell a story that nobody's heard before. And so when you're offering the play, you're offering the side, you're offering the total, you're offering the stance in the futures market. You have to give the people something you have to give them a reason that they haven't heard before. And I think it all kind of ties back and it's really just kind of one big endless loop of trying to provide content that is intriguing. And for somebody to say, okay, you know what, that makes sense. Like I can get on board with that. And obviously not yes tail, but you want to be able to make a case and make your stance against it. And again, that all ties in, but I do think you made a good point about, you know, 
betting and the divide between sports betting and entertainment because, you know, it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges. And it's a question that I've gotten a lot um, since writing for the score and just kind of how gambling's become legalized and how big it's been and how big of a market there is for it. And I, I just I don't think that we have a definitive um definition, I guess you should say, of what good content is, because on one hand, you could have, you know, media platform X that let's say the majority of gambling Twitter, I, you know, if you want to use that or, and not even gambling Twitter, but, you know, smarter gamblers who know what they're doing, let's say they don't like it, but let's say the, you know, the public masses, they do. I'm, I'm, and then, you know, this media platform, you know, do they, which benchmark do they use for saying how good or bad this company is? Do they use the sharp gamblers or do they use, you know, the people who are reading them who still think that this is a good uh, platform? And then on the contrary, maybe, you know, sharp gamblers like this, maybe smarter gamblers do like it, but maybe it's so number based and so confusing for the public masses and the readers that they don't like it. So it's it's I think we're I think we're kind of having this standstill and this difficulty in finding which benchmark to use because the spectrum of a sports better varies from you know sharp to square and there's so much in between that I think some places are having a tough time figuring out which niche group to tailor to yeah. if that makes sense i i just feel like there it's it's a it's a very large mass and to be able to um feed the mouths of everybody is is, is proven to be a difficult task for for some outlets for sure um the next thing i want to ask you you know within your kind of journey to the score is kind of the you um you i would say i went kind of the uh, the path that is the kind of what is taught to you, right? You go to school, you learn how to, you know, apply your craft, and then you get a job right after. In in your case, it kind of worked out to be the junior scenario writing about sports. With everything that's going on now, um, do you think that there is? It is, it, is it easier or is it harder for somebody, let's say, who maybe didn't go to college, maybe didn't you know, get a, journal, a sports degree or a journalism degree um, because of social media, because of the internet um, at a time when you know, we talked about kind of you know, pre-internet with um, your mom relaying uh, sports scores to your dad, but the same thing can be applied for people creating content, right? It was before you had to kind of, it was what, newspaper and there was really nothing when it comes to gambling, uh, but now all you have to do is start a blog and generally, if you're good enough, and the content is good, the cream will rise to the, the, to the top. You just have to get one, you know, it only takes one person to see your content and kind of do it that way. Um, however, I mean, uh, I've seen this in my life as well when I, you know, was exploring stuff before SGP and, and whatever that, you know, I, I didn't go to college. I didn't have a journalism degree. I didn't have anything really. I, you know, barely made it out of high school with, <laughs> with my, you know, um, in check. So I think that the new age of social media is really giving everyone an equal playing field. Do you kind of agree with that or disagree? Yeah, again, I think the journalism and sports betting split kind of comes into play here, too. But I think one of the biggest things for me being able to turn a journalism, I wouldn't I can't even say degree because I don't have a journalism degree, but using my at least a college uh, degree and everything that you, you know, quote unquote, learned there and everything is, <laughs> is kind of, you know, when you're able to put that on a resume, it inevitably helps, right? Oh, for sure. But, you know, having kind of the writing background that I had and, um, you know, the, I, I guess I could say the knack for writing and, you know, the desire to want to write using that. And then kind of my relatability to sports betting and like, you know, just the experiences, like take away if I was successful or unsuccessful being around it so long, 
has helped me become relatable in the sense that, you know, I've, I've kind of seen everything from, you know, a good season to a bad season, to the worst beat of my life, to the best win of my life, to knowing how, you know, (laughs) how people, people's emotions are, you know, during a game or after a game and, and being kind of in the industry for, you know, a decade now as a writer, um, as a reporter, as a better myself, um, using those experiences and learning from people has helped me kind of, um, you know, put out my content because I already had, you know, the skill to write and just kind of using those experiences and, you know, being able to put two sentences together without making a complete fool of myself. Like that's kind of how everything gets started for me. And I think the more, you know, about gambling, um, whether it's, you know, the numbers, the industry, how things work, um, you know, how, you know, what it's like to be a gambler, that's only going to help you move forward in the industry. Um, and to have, you know, maybe a journalism background or to have a writing background is only going to help more. So I kind of, you know, pun intended parlayed those two into becoming a writer. And that's kind of how things, you know, ended up blossoming from the experience of betting and knowing the industry and taking my experiences and using it into my writings, kind of how everything kind of boomed. Last question before we kind of break into the future of everything. Um, what would you tell anyone that wants to get started in the content industry, but maybe um, isn't as you know confident to go the you know full professional betting route and create content? They just want to um, you know make content in the sports betting space for whatever um, you know that means to them. What kind of advice? What's the biggest things that you've learned away? Either the biggest things that helped, the biggest thing that hurt, um, anything and everything that you would tell to somebody who's looking to start kind of day one in the content industry. Yeah, I think sports betting, I mean, and for me too, especially back when I was selling picks, it's 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 really really tough to try to stay level-headed and to not be egotistical because when I was in high school and I was the only person doing it and you know, playing college football and everybody on the team's coming for you for picks and stuff like that, it, it, you kind of get put up on a pedestal. And working in this industry has been super humbling because you know, there are people who are successful. There are people who are unsuccessful. There are people who are smart. There are people who are not smart. Um, it just comes down to one of those things where you have to stay level-headed and you have to be able to soak in as much as you can. And honestly, it's one of those things. Sports betting is great because it's one of those things you can do by yourself. You can work with a team, but in reality, it's your money. It's one of those things where it, it, to some, it's a hobby. It kind of keeps them even keeled. Um, but, you know, when you're working with so much money and, you know, you're playing with your money, you tend to get egotistical and sports betting. I know you can vouch for this too, being on gambling Twitter where everyone wants to flex their muscles. You can't be scared to ask for help. You can't be scared to network. You can't be scared to connect with other people and you can't be scared to learn from people who are smarter than you. And that was kind of what the, the, the gist of what I'm talking about is, you know, you start at such a, a young age, you think you know more than everybody, when in reality, you're just a small fish in a big pond and you don't know half of what the, you know, the smartest betters in the world know. So the more you know, the more you learn from people, the more you can apply it to writing, the more relatable you can, you can become. And that's kind of the biggest thing that's been for me the past few years is knowing, okay, you're not the smartest guy in the room. And it's mm-hmm. not, you know, it doesn't hurt to keep your ears open and to learn from people who are smarter than you, because in this industry, it's, it's tough to be humbled, but the more you do, the easier things become. I could not echo those, that sentiment enough, man. And people out there, 
you know, professionals, again, I think being self-aware is probably the big number one thing. If you want to just mm-hmm. make money out there, I think that you're going to save yourself a lot of time and effort. If you, you know, just let somebody else analyze the market for you. If, if all you're interested in is money, um, if you want money and you want notoriety, you want admiration, you want respect, then maybe you have to go down the other rows, but they're going to kind of almost take away from that one. So I could not agree with you more. And it's, it's so funny, man. Like once you, you know, people, you know, I tell people all the time, this is the hundred percent truth. I pay for information. I have paid people for picks before I've paid. I have no problem doing so as long as I know that the information is good, that you no, know, not for, um, you know, I have kind of a long-term view, so I'm not just going to buy somebody's picks for one day, but if you're good enough, I have no problem kind of, you know, compensating you for that work that that was put in. And that's kind of a different conversation for a different time. But I think that once, you know, professional betters and even betters in general, like you said, are some of the most ego-driven people in the world. And you see this time and time again, uh, specifically in a baseball market, NFL market, where betters will, you know, a couple of years ago, um, when they were on the Browns every single week, they would, you know, lose five in a row. Then the Browns would somehow cover a spread the sixth week and they would flex their muscles as being the smartest guys in the room. But when you really looked at it, they were one in four and, you know, okay, congratulations. I'm, I'm kind of the opposite <laughs> where I, until regression happens, either positive or negative, I'm going to keep betting it and ride the you know hot trend rather than just waiting for regression to happen but different kind of a, a conversation man but um the future i think it's a fascinating conversation for where this industry and where content is going where the score is going um but let's look towards the past one final time here what is from when you started let's say you know kind of your earliest moments in sports betting whether it was the selling picks or the first kind of article that you've written or anything like that what is kind of the biggest difference um or kind of how the you know how everything has changed um with the you know how big social media is and, and quote-unquote gambling twitter and how social media and has really really changed the game what's kind of the biggest differences inside the content industry and the sports betting content industry that you've seen from start up until present time today? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, back then during the pick selling era, I think really the only, the only guys that were really doing it or, you know, the people that I had been following and kept tabs on was covers and, you know, they were my go-to for, you know, matchups and weather and trends and stuff like that. But now there just seems to be such a smorgasbord, for lack of a better word, of sports betting content that, you know, bettors are now kind of having the opportunity to choose what they want to digest and what they don't want to digest, whether it's entertainment wise or, um, you know, fantasy related that kind of has a betting slant to it. Um, or just, you know, basic betting guides or tips or, or stuff like that. So, I mean, we've seen definitely an expansion and, and I think we're starting to see more layers to it in terms of entertainment and, you know, podcasts and audio and thank God for podcasts too, because I wouldn't be able to, uh, to have an attention span doing stuff like going out to the pool or getting a tattoo session without having freaking podcasts at my disposal. But, um, the fact that it's, you know, becoming more of a household thing, I think is great. Um, and I think that there's a huge market for it. Hence why we, you know, dove into it and tapped into it and stuff. And, um, just the, you know, the new layers and I'm excited to see what kind of comes about it and, and how, um, you know, the new age of social media and how big it is, how that tends to create more layers too, with how people are going to be adapting and taking new stances. And I'm sure in the next, you know, year or two, we're going to look back on stuff that we said during this podcast and things are going to be completely different from how, um, you know, content gets treated and stuff like that. So it should be fun though. Um, especially if you're looking at it from more of a, you know, level-headed view of, you know, maybe not looking for information, but kind of just scoping out betting content. I think we'll, we'll start to see some really, really neat things, 
um, in the near future with, with the way social media and how big of a boost we've seen with that. I want to ask you something, and I don't want you to call anybody out because I think that I'm going to do it anyway. But it's it, it's it, with somebody in the content <laughs> industry. It's uh, I think it bears merit to to at least talk about here. Uh, I can already I already know who you're talking about, so we can just go ahead and yeah. So we can go ahead and just get right into it. I, I guess, don't need it. Go yeah. ahead, Christian. I guess this is kind of the first time I've talked about it on this podcast, and I'm not going to dig into it too too deep. You can go through my Twitter feed if if you want to see exactly what I'm talking about. But people that are in prominent positions uh, within some of the biggest uh, news outlets and covering sports gambling uh, for the first time. Um, my biggest beef is I think that when you're put in that position, this is going to sound kind of on a high horse and everything. It really is, but it's not how it's intended. I just feel like when you're kind of, I don't want to say pioneering, but when you're at the forefront of a brand new industry covering a brand new market for media outlets, you almost have a responsibility to do your homework, to know the ins and outs of that industry. And there's a big difference between sports handicapping and there's a big difference between covering sports for who will win or lose. And I think that, you know, when, when we look at this, there are really, you know, there's people in prominent positions out there. Let's talk about the Twitter beef I had with Darren Ravel as, as one of them. There was um, another one when it comes to uh, UFC, yeah. truthfully forget her name, Laura something. Um, that is, it, look, the information that's being put out, I really have a problem with. And I don't, it's not as if I hate their their positions or I hate their thought processes. That is not, you know, even if I disagree with something, I want to know if you can come up with a, a, tell me the why, right? The why is always more important. But when we're talking about day one stuff of not knowing what a specific betting skin is versus the fact that not knowing that a specific casino in Rhode Island doesn't even have mobile wagering yet on your, you know, a Twitter account with a hundred thousand followers, you're putting this out there and then asking people to delete it because you messed up. And I'm again, not sitting here trying to bash individual people. I just think that it's really, it gives the industry that already has such taboo, such black eyes, even more when you're talking about granted unintentionally, um, but being dishonest, being distruthful and just showing how little, uh, people, you know, know about this industry that are at the forefront covering it makes the whole industry as a whole when it comes to content look bad. Do you kind of agree or disagree? Um, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to, to figure out how to, it's just one of those things where I think you need to know what your stance is before. Uh, and this goes for, I think everybody, um, that's, you know, kind of diving into the sports betting market is you have to know what your stance is. Um, you have to know, you know, what your motives are. Um, you know, are, are you, you know, cause if you're going to be an entertainment company and, you know, if you want to be relatable and that's kind of what you, um, that's, you know, that's your motive, then like, that's great. Um, you shouldn't expect, you know, if you're going to not take it seriously, you shouldn't expect, um, readers who want to, you know, to come there for things that are serious. Um, you can't be mad when they aren't happy with that kind of product. So, you know, people kind of need to understand like, you know, how sites differ from what they're putting out. And, um, really that's all I can say about it, but it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's new to most people. Um, you know, for, for me and you, for example, like this isn't new, we've been around the block a time or two, so we know the ins and outs and, you know, but the, I would agree that the, that there are common mistakes made. Um, and you'll see it now that, you know, there's, kind of a market now carving out for sports betting where, you know, maybe people, um, <laughs> it, it's again, Christian, it's just one of those things where you need to know your stance and you need to know, um, what's kind of at stake and, um, you need to know what kind of product you're offering. 
And, you know, the, the deleting and stuff and all the red flags that kind of popped up from that this week that, um, you know, I just saw skimming the timeline. Like it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, puts a, puts a definitely a bad cloud over, over the industry. And it's just one of those things that you don't want to see, you know, because there are a lot of good things, um, in this industry, there are definitely a lot of good sites out there that provide information and you don't want that to kind of cloud you know, the, the positives and the good things that are happening around the industry. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I can offer on that. I completely agree, man. Uh, last two questions before I get you out of here. One of them, um, sure. you talked about your write-ups and, and absolutely love them. You've put out some of the best content out there. Um, the Shane Bieber piece was absolutely amazingly well done. Probably one of my favorite pieces <laughs> that you've done out there. I want to know, is there, see, to me, the write-ups <laughs> Are, they're twofold. One, um, it, it gives the readers, you know, a the why is always so much more important. This is why you can agree with it, you can disagree with it. I think people who just put picks out there, um, I want to say, I mean, God, if you're especially if you're a free guy just looking for exposure and looking for just you know kind of sharing your your plays for the evening, I think don't think you owe anybody anything. But the the write ups and explaining the why almost it helps me just as much as it helps a reader in my opinion because it helps me organize my thoughts, come up with my theory. Because if I you know it's not as if I'm looking at the play and then looking for reasons to go justify it, I know you can certainly probably do that, but it helps me. That's kind of my, you know, how my brain works and handicapping things is I have to put it on paper and I have to see it um, to know kind of my stance on it. Um, I, again, I, I know you're kind of the exact same way. Um, do you feel it helps you mm -hmm. almost as much as well? And kind of the other question is what is kind of your favorite um, sport to kind of do those write-ups for or favorite sport to handicap and how do they differentiate style-wise for you? Yeah, for sure. You know, just going back to that Shane Bieber post, like that was one of those things where, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a trend. And I know that trends go both ways and you can find trends that um, favor both sides. So in essence, there are some trends that are completely meaningless and aren't predictive, but it's kind of the, the under the radar stuff like that, where people might not know about in the market and might not catch up to it. And that's kind of how I got started a couple years ago in college. That was really the first thing that I started doing in my spare time. And it made me feel like I was being productive was kind of digging out these situational angles. Um, and I guess branching off of that second question, it would have to be college football just because college football is my favorite sport. And you have so many different teams and conferences to go off of. And there really are a lot of different edges and angles you can dig into, whether it's travel or how teams um, play after before playing a certain opponent. Um, you know, head coaching trends is a little less, um, you know uh, purposeful in this sense, but yeah, those are just the pieces that I like to do. Um, and you know, just in, from a content stance, like being able to put out graphs and being able to kind of justify, um, you know, why things are happening. I know in the Shane Bieber post, it was one of those things where it's, you know, pitchers typically tend to, you know, pitch better at home, but in the, in the case of Shane Bieber, you know, his home ballpark, you know, is such a, uh, hitter friendly park that when he's going on the road and playing in these pitcher friendly parks, he's doing so well. And it's just, it was just one of those things where again, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you didn't think about it or, or it was just kind of something that kind of flew under the radar. And I really like doing those information pieces and, um, you know, you, you can call them situational angles if you want, but, you know, during the college football season, we were doing a lot of stuff with, you know, how teams were traveling. We always had a post on, you know, here are the teams that are playing their third consecutive road game this week and, you know, just different stuff. And, and, and the thing is you might not use it, you know, in your capping, but if you want it, it's there. And that's kind of the gist of, of where we're going with it is, you know, you don't have to take this side, but if you want it, 
here are the stats that support it. Here's something that you can, you know, factor into your number to help, you know, beat the Vegas spread. You know, it, it's just, it, it's, it kind of loops into, you know, here's what you need. If you want it, if you don't want it, you don't have to take it. <laughs> yeah. Do Cause you, you find- can't really, you know, Go ahead. you can't budge people into, you know, we're not, you know, I'm not trying to sway you into taking something, but if you, you know, if you want an interesting nugget on this, then here you go. I spent 45 minutes researching it and you can use it. There you go. Do you find Friend that the people, <laughs> my man, do you find that the, you know, let's talk about the baseball market. Cause to me, it's the closest thing in the world that resembles a, you know, let's say stock market or just a market in general. Cause it's every single day for 162 games where football mm-hmm. is largely backloaded, right? Sure. You have mm-hmm. a Monday, you have a Thursday, but basically depending on what league, uh, college or professional, it's basically Saturday and Sunday. And you spend all week leading up towards that where it's, it's a very short sample size in the NFL. You have 16 games. What is 16 games of an MLB season, right? It's 6% or whatever. So I find major mm-hmm. league baseball to be, you know, I don't want to say more profitable because it's just, it's, it's different inherently when there's only, you know, you have one day a week or two days a week to make money. Is it better on the weekends and during a football season, you know, you're probably going to bet a little bit more just because you have to survive, right? Where mm-hmm. baseball can be kind of spread out and you can exploit. I mean, this is my whole philosophy when it's betting baseball, exploiting edges over and over and over again. And so it's a really different type of market when you talk about daily versus the backloaded football type of thing or, or basketball or whatever it is. Do you find any difference in that when it is, you know, I mean, let's talk about it. Football is a very short sample size for 16 games versus other leagues out there, 82, 162, however many that they're playing, you know? Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, a question. Have you read, uh, trading bases by Joe Pita? I know that's kind of a gambling book that's kind of circulated over the last few years, but have you dug into that per chance? Yeah, of course. Well, I think he said it best where it's like, you know, people think that betting baseball is so tough, but in reality, it's one of the easier to cap because you're playing prices. You're not playing point spreads. You know, teams are trying to just score as many runs as possible and trying to give up as few, um, as they, as they can. And so the way you treat that, um, I would totally agree. The thing is, is I actually play more totals than I play, uh, money lines, which is pretty unorthodox because again, it kind of contradicts what I said about how <laughs> baseball is one of the easier to, to cap in essence. But, um, with all the new data that comes out and all these new sites that I've been able to find that tracks like, you know, don't want to give away too much here, but, but tracks pitch data and how certain hitters fare against certain pitches. And, you know, now you have the launch angle era and hard hit percentage and barrel rate. And it's just kind of, taking all the sum of the parts and using the the data that we already have, the advanced metrics we already have with, you know, pitcher data with XFIP and Sierra and using stuff like that and using that to cap. And, you know, like you said too, it's such a long season where, you know, not even talking about the sample size, but, you know, trying to avoid those slumps and to stay, <laughs> to stay level-headed through 162 game season is definitely tough. Um, especially with me too, in the futures market with win totals is so unbelievably tough for me to not want to just go off in a fit of rage whenever <laughs> a team that I have an over on <laughs> loses or vice versa. It's such a long season that like right now, you know, 65, some games and I'm ready to lose my mind, but you know, it's one of those things where it is a marathon. And if you, you know, this is kind of just branching off, but you know, if you are using proper bankroll management and are treating it like a marathon, like things will be good. Um, but yeah, dude, you have one week and you're ready to, 
to blow your brains out, but it's, it's one of those things that definitely tests your patience. And, you know, there I've had plenty of seasons where I've had my fair share of one run losses and, and can't get on the right side of those games. And, you know, it'll definitely test you, but it's one of those things where, you know, if, if you're consistently adapting and consistently doing things to find edges, then it all pretty much works out in the end for sure. Completely agree, man. I want to give you the floor before I start plugging your stuff. Anything we did not talk about um, when it comes to the score, your articles, where people can find you. I'm going to plug all that. But anything else that we didn't hit on that you really want to talk about could be a funny story. We could talk about your beautiful Mario Kart sleeve, anything and everything. Oh, the Mario Kart sleeve. Tell me about it. As a a fellow sleeve tattoo guy, tell me about it. (laughs) Well, it was one of those things where, um, you know, I I have three tattoos already. And... You know, my arm was looking a little bare one day. And so I was like, you know, what are we going to, we got to get something. I must've had, it's, it's funny, dude. I had the top half of the Mario Kart sleeve done last, let's see, last February. And then, you know, you know, sleeves, you know, they're, they don't cost a couple of units. They cost like a, a season's, <laughs> a season's yeah. worth of, <laughs> and so I think, you know, this past uh, September, Um, I had no plans of actually making it a full sleeve, but I ended up having like very, very good week one through four in college football. And I ended up basically taking that money and I just went into the, you know, the tattoo artists, um, into the the building. I was like, slap the money on on the table. And I was like, we're going to make this a a full sleeve. He's like, all right, let's, uh, I guess I'll start drawing it. And then I think I lost like (laughs) the next five weeks in college football. So I probably should have made that knee jerk reaction, but it was one of those things where, um, you know, as, and just kind of going back to sports betting, having, you know, uh, a second revenue stream. Um, there are times when you need to kind of take a breather and, you need to, you, you truly do need to take time for yourself and reward yourself because for me, and I know you probably do this too. It's literally a 365 day a year type of thing. And it's easy to get complacent when things are up and it's super easy to look at things from a pessimistic view when things are down. And that was just one of those cases where, you know, I literally took my hard work that had paid off and decided to get a Mario Kart sleeve. And yeah, that's, that's where did that idea the, come uh, from? Why Mario Kart? I'm the, I'm the biggest fan of Mario Kart, maybe next to you out there, but I need to know the thought process. <laughs> oh, it was one of those things where I was like, I need something, you know, I have a couple of religious tattoos. I have a couple family based tattoos. And then, you know, something hit like a year and a half ago where I was like, I want to get something so far outside the box that, it's going to create mass hysteria. And so, you know, I was talking to my brother. He's also got a bunch of tattoos. He's like, dude, you should get Ninja Turtles. I'm like, no, I'm not too big of a Ninja Turtles fan. He's like, dude, you should get a Mario Kart. I'm like, I can mess with a Mario Kart sleeve because back when I was younger, every Christmas we would get a Nintendo 64. We would play Mario Kart until we died. And it was one of those things where we still played in college. And truthfully, you know, it, I know the saying is like, you shouldn't really matter, uh, or care about what people think about your tattoos, but in the, like the same sphere, like who doesn't like Mario Kart, you know, one of those things where, you know, I've talked to people who don't even like tattoos and they're like, that is a sick tattoo. And I'm like, (laughs) thank you. I know it is amazing. So, um, I am about, Let's see. I have about 43 hours done on my entire arm and I still have about 17 more to go. So we're looking at about 
two and a half days worth of tattooing. And literally right now, Christian, it looks like somebody just took like a box of fruit roll-ups and just melted them on my arm. It's just, it's so beautiful. My whole, my whole right arm is collar too. And, and that takes a very long time. So God very. bless you, man. That is, <laughs> that is commitment to the Mario Kart game. Alex Kalaje, go to the score.com, check them out under writers at Alex Kalaje on Twitter, A-L-E-X-K-O-L-O-D-Z-I-E-J. Bunch of great articles out there. Quarterback props for the upcoming 2019 season. Um, everything and everything. MLB betting, updated odds for Cy Young, MVP, win matchups to consider for 2019. Everything and everything is on the score.com and his Twitter, man. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out, bro. Anything else that um, you want to hit on, you want to plug? Uh, I think you got it, man. Um, for all those listening, I know you know, they have the betting tab there, but really the score is doing great things. Whether you, you know, you want to look for esports or NBA finals features, videos, YouTube, um, they have everything. They've been doing such a tremendous job, um, with finals coverage and with the off season for, for football, doing a lot of very, very fun and unique articles. Um, you know, for example, one of my buddies just did one calling out BS quotes from, the off season and, and why they're BS and just really, really unique and, and fun articles and, and informative articles. We got some mock drafts up. So if you go on there, I guarantee that you will not want to leave because there's just, there's something for everybody on that site. The last question before I do, I get out of here. I almost forgot, man. Uh, the score, the score sportsbook rumblings are happening. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that you're an executive here and need to tell me all about the scores plans for everything, but kind of um, as somebody there, um, you know, kind of what do you see the future of that coming to, you know, pass, coming to fruition, just as a kind of quick recap for kind of the scores future plans when it comes to breaking into that market? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it made sense completely. If you look at, you know, just kind of touching back on, the creativity and the versatility that they have for the score. And also sports gambling, I think is going to do well with the way the score has it up in Canada, um, making it more widespread up there too. And, um, obviously they have an, a tremendous writer named Alex Kaloje who pumps out those articles, um, while drinking a gallon of coffee per day. So check that out, gain information and collect money. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, bro. All right. Again, Twitter, Alex Kalaje at A-L-E-X-K-O-L-O-D-Z-I-E-J, thescore.com. Amazing content out there, man. Thank you so much, bro. I know we went long. Um, just a fascinating conversation as usual, bro. So take care. Good luck with all your bets for the upcoming week, and we will talk soon. Yeah, CP. Thanks so much again for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And thanks again to Alex for coming on, talking all things sports betting content with me. And as always, guys, remember, where you're betting is just as important as what you're betting on. And that's why I always tell people to go to mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag has been in business for years, rep brought solid, and they do big cash bonuses. Off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. Fastest payouts in the game, just two business days as well. Promo code SGP50 gets you a 50% deposit bonus up to $3,000. Go to mybookie.ag today, enter your promo code SGP50, play, win, and get paid. And again, Inside Vegas t-shirts available on Amazon, sportsgamingpodcast.com slash Amazon. Just bookmark that link, help support the podcast whenever you shop at Amazon, as if you're like me, it's a daily occurrence. So uh, get yourself an Inside Vegas tea, college experience, SGP merch, all available at sportsgamingpodcast.com slash Amazon. Hey.